The reading this evening is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. The sign of Jonah. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Thank you. Thank you, Clive. Recently, I was um, going for a drive to uh, Morag and the kids were with her family uh, in Bristol. I was, it was half term, I think, and I was going to meet them. Uh, so I kind of drove on the A27 late at night, it's about eight o'clock. I was going along the roads uh, and then I got to Angmering, sort of junction, just a bit further along. Uh, and I saw the cones that were dotted on the roads taking you off the A27 and down the kind of the slip roads. I was like, oh, brilliant. It's late at night. I don't, I, I, there's this diversion. It's taking me to Littlehampton. That's just a real pain. So I, I had no choice. So off I go. But I'm kind of looking on the road thinking there's no roadworks even on the roads. But I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I, I used to live in Angmering. I can outsmart the roadwork people here. I'm going to ignore their signs, uh, and I'm going to go into Angmering and cut down through. There's a little road that catches onto the A27 a bit further down. Like, I'm just going to get straight onto an empty road. So I was going along driving, thinking, yes, I'm winning at this driving. And then I get to the A27, and then there's the, the cones across my little road as well. I was like, oh. So then I had to do my, like, five-point turn in the road to turn around and go back and grin at all the cars that thought they had the same idea as me and then sort of sheepishly rejoin the diversion, thinking, no signs are right after all, and then going to Little Hampton and catch the A27 back to Arundel. Oh, I thought I knew better than the signs. Uh, I thought I could ignore them. I thought, in fact, I could wait a bit longer and decide as to what I thought was the right way, but actually I should have followed them. I should have listened to them, and I should have responded to them. Well, in those little four verses we've got this evening, uh, there's just three words that really sum it up tonight. Respond to Jesus. Respond to Jesus. The people want a sign. He says, none will be given except the sign of Jonah. In effect, he's saying, respond to me now. Respond to me today. So as we begin to look at these few verses, let's pray uh, to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray this evening that as we open up these few verses in Luke, continuing through our journey, you would help us to see you, and not simply see you, but respond to you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, These few verses come, unsurprisingly, after the previous passage. Uh, And last week, if you were here in our evening service, you heard Phil speak to us uh, from these words. Uh, You'd have seen how uh, chapter 11, verse 16, uh, sorry, chapter 14, sorry, 
Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left the man who who had mute spoke, the crowd were amazed. Verse 15, but some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Some said he did it by evil spirits. And last week, Phil so helpfully showed us though that Jesus is good. He's not simply good, he's God. Uh, And it's by his own good authority he drives out demons. But verse 16, uh, others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. They'd just seen Jesus heal this demon-possessed man, and they say, I'll believe you if you can give me a sign from heaven. It sounds quite reasonable, doesn't it, though? It sounds like they're kind of reasonable people. We'd like a sign. You know, I'll believe you, Jesus, but just, just help me. Give me a sign. You know, if I told you I'm a cordon bleu chef, uh, they'd say, oh, that's, that's great, Ben. Can you, can you just prepare me a meal? Uh, you know, give me a sign. Show me your cordon bleu skills. And then you'll know that I'm lying. Um, but it sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Give me a sign to, to help me believe. But what does Jesus say? Verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus says, in asking for a sign, it shows that you don't believe. It shows that you, there's unbelief. There is no neutral ground. There is no metaphorical fence to sit on or Switzerland to inhabit. There's no neutral ground. You either believe in Jesus or you don't. The problem here, Jesus says, it's not with him. It's not that he's provided or he's lacking, shall I say, in his provision. It's rather with the people. It's their hearts. They refuse to believe. And their quest for a sign simply shows that. Therefore, Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. But what is the the sign of Jonah? Well, well, to understand that, we've got to remember the story. Maybe go back to our, our Sunday school days. Uh, where Jonah is God's prophet, uh, God comes to him and says, Jonah, I'd love you to go to the, the Gentile people of Nineveh, that great capital city. And I want you to go preach there and tell them that in 40 days, God's judgment's gonna, I'm, my judgment's going to come. You need to repent. God said, go. And Jonah said, no. We know the story, don't we? He, he ran down, down to Joppa, down in the boat, down in the boat, down to sleep and went the opposite direction. And then the, the storms rise. The sailors don't want to throw him in the sea. Jonah says, you've got to throw me in the sea. Uh, they throw him in the sea, and he's swallowed by a great big fish, a whale. And he's in there for three days and three nights. And then the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. And God says, go, and Jonah goes. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches. Then in 40 days, the city will be overturned. And as he does, the people repent. But what's the sign of Jonah? Well, we don't know if when Jonah was preaching, he said, look, uh, 
I was in the belly of a fish for three days. I was dead, whether literally or, or figuratively, for three days. But now I'm here. God so wants you to hear this message and believe this message that I was in the fish for three days. We don't know if he said that or if indeed we're just meant to know that. But the reason's the same. Uh, Jonah's message as a prophet was vindicated, was shown to be real and trustworthy because he was in the fish for three days. And now verse 30, for as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the son of man be to this generation. But Jesus is not going to be in the belly of a fish for three days. He's going to be in the heart of the earth. He really will be killed and buried. But then, gloriously raised to life and vindicated as the one who is truly God, his message is to be believed. And so Jesus says, that's the sign you're going to be given. The resurrection will be the sign. The people have never believed with Jonah's message. And now Jesus is here who is greater than Jonah. And he says, that is enough. That's the sign you're going to be given. But just to rub it in for them even more. Jesus recalls two judges. He says there are going to be these two people who arise in the last day who are going to stand in judgment against you because of your unbelief. And the first is that of the Queen of the South. This is a story that relates back to 1 Kings chapter 10. Let me just read to you the first nine verses. If you've got a Bible, you can turn it up if you want to. It's page 348, but just listen if not. This is 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. When the queen of Sheba, or the south, heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him, about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food in his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings, he made the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. 
The Queen of Sheba traveled many miles because she'd heard of the wisdom of Solomon. But when she arrived, the report she'd heard was only half true. The real truth was even more than she could possibly imagine. She came, she saw, she heard, and she believed. Verse 31, back in Luke 11. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. She came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon. And now before your eyes is someone greater than Solomon. You don't have to travel the end of the earth. Jesus is saying, look, uh, I am here right in front of you. And so because of that, because of your unbelief, because of your refusal to believe in me, the queen of the south is going to rise up in judgment and condemn you because she believed in one lesser. And the one greater you do not believe in. One greater than Solomon is here. What about the second judge? The Ninevites. Yeah, we've heard the story, haven't we, of, jo- of Jonah. How, how the Ninevites, the, the pagan, brutish people, heard the message and repented. They heard that that their city was to be overthrown and they put on sackcloth and ashes and said, please, Lord, have mercy. They turned around from their behaviors. And verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Their repentance showed their belief. And Jesus is saying, right before your eyes, someone greater is here. And both of these two judges would have really stung the Israelite people. Because both are Gentiles, and the idea of Gentiles lording it over the Jews and judging them, in their eyes it should be the other way around. But here Jesus is saying, the Queen of the South, the Ninevites, believed in a lesser, and now someone greater is in front of you, and you refuse to believe. Someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus' message in these four verses is simple. Respond now. Respond now. You've been given enough. Someone greater than Jonah, someone greater than the Queen of the South is here. Respond now. 
Uh, to not decide is to decide. Jesus says to his people in front of his eyes, respond now. Respond to Jesus. And then as if the camera shifts from the people here in Luke 11 to each one of us. And the same question is posed of us. Will we respond to Jesus? Uh, last week, Phil, very uh, helpfully, just an illustration, um, the one of the train. Imagine being at Hove Station, you're waiting for the 8.51 to London, Victoria. It's 8.50, uh, you see the train pull in. What do you do? Do you wait? Do you try and chat to the driver? Do you look at the front of the train, the side of the train? Do you see if the people on the train look like they're going to London? What do you do? At one point, you have to get onto the train before it goes. And the same is true of us. We must respond to Jesus. But as we think about that question about responding to Jesus, what, what might be the motivations for doing that? Well, let's consider two, a, a negative and a positive. Firstly, the negative. Because what's the worst that could happen if you don't get on a literal train? Well, the worst that could happen is you, you, you'll miss your work you're going to. You'll miss that event you're going to. You'll miss the 8 o'clock kickoff at Wembley. You, you know, you, you'll miss whatever it might be that you're going to. You know, that could be pretty sad, but that's probably the worst that could happen. But, but what's the worst that could happen if we don't respond to Jesus? And remember, not responding to Jesus is deciding that we are not going to respond to Jesus. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen if we refuse to come to the Lord, the giver of life? What's the worst that could happen if we refuse to come to the one who forgives sins? What's the worst that could happen? If we don't come to Jesus. Well the short answer is. We face his judgment. The short answer is. Hell. The Lord Jesus himself said. That hell is a place of eternal torment. Of unquenchable fire where the worm does not die. Where people gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. And from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness. Comparing it to a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem. Where fires burn and maggots abound. What's the worst that could happen? If I've not said to you that before, in person or if someone watching online, I'm sorry. Because that really is the worst thing ever. Facing God's anger and God's judgment. And we must remember that and take it seriously. That to not respond to Jesus is to face that. But also we must remember that 
not simply to not respond to Jesus in terms of the gospel. That is to say that we have accepted Jesus and we have taken his forgiveness, but also to, to not respond to him on a day by day basis when we hear his voice. If we don't respond to Jesus when we hear his voice, we're just being mean to ourselves. We're just being mean to ourselves. Because Jesus is the one who, who longs to take our burden. Jesus is the one who is goodness and love personified. Every word that comes from his mouth is for our good. So, so to not listen to him is just to be mean. And so that leads us into our, our positive motivation. Because every word that Jesus says is good. Uh, C.S. Lewis has famously, famously said this. Um, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Life, like an ignorant child we, who wants to go making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. To not respond to Jesus to say, I'd rather make mud pies than go to the beach. Responding to Jesus saying, I want to go on holiday. I want to go and enjoy life and love. To know the burden relieved. To know forgiveness and freedom. Responding to Jesus every day will be something we will never regret. We will never regret responding to Jesus. So as we close, what might that look like? There's all sorts of ways we could unpack this, isn't there? But let's take the two that are in the passage. Wisdom and repentance. Wisdom. Jesus cares about every area of life. He cares uh, about how you're sitting now in church. He cares about how you may or may not watch the football later. He cares about how you uh, wake up in the morning and how you eat your lunch at work, how you speak to your spouse and how you think about your work colleagues. Jesus cares about every area of life and he has greater wisdom than Solomon when it comes to living rightly in God's world. So being honest, do we live like that? Do we live like Jesus has something to say about every part of our life? Do we long to listen in his word and pray, Lord, saying, please help me as I deal with this awkward family member? As I write this letter, this card about what I watch on television, Lord, please help me with your wisdom. Jesus is greater than Solomon, the one who had all the wisdom in the world. And we've got access to him. Let's come to Jesus. But then secondly, repentance Jesus cares about every area of life. So when I remember that, and I think of the confession earlier, what are the things I need to say sorry for? What are the things I, not an invite, need to turn around from? 
What are the ways I need to say sorry? And remember all that the Lord has done for me. Jesus says to us this evening, respond to me today. Not tomorrow, next week, but today. Respond to me today. It's not too late. It may be too late for some in the future. But it's not too late today. And if you do respond to me, if you do listen to my voice, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Respond to Jesus. It's not too late. And you'll never regret it. Let's pray. Loving Father God, we're sorry for the times that we too often think we know better. But Lord, we thank you that what you have given us and have shown us is all we need. We thank you that indeed we stand in the privileged position of being able to stand this side of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that authenticates and shows your you as the true and living God. Help us to respond to you this evening in faith and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.